Hello there, Divya here. In the last chapter, we got a good understanding of Maya through Yogananda's words. That brought in the understanding more easily and with more clarity. Let's today sail on to chapter 31, an interview with the sacred mother. Revered mother, I was baptized in infancy by your prophet husband. He was the guru of my parents and of my own guru, Sri Yukteswarji. Will you therefore give me the privilege of hearing a few incidents in your sacred life? I was addressing Srimati Kashi Muni, the life companion of Lahri Mahasaya. Finding myself in Banaras for a short period, I was fulfilling a long-felt desire to visit the venerable lady. She received me graciously in the home of the Lahiri family in the Gardeshwar Maula section of Banaras. Although aged, she was blooming like a lotus, emanating a spiritual fragrance. She was of medium build with fair skin, a slender neck and large lustrous eyes. Son, you're welcome here. Come upstairs. Kashi Muni led the way to a very small room where, for a time, she had lived with her husband. I felt honoured to witness the shrine in which the peerless master had condescended to play the human drama of matrimony. The gentle lady motioned me to a pillow seat by her side. It was years before I came to realize the divine stature of my husband. She began. One night in this very room, I had a vivid dream. Glorious angels floated in unimaginable grace above me. So realistic was the sight that I awoke at once strangely. The room was enveloped in the dazzling light. My husband, in lotus posture, was levitated in the center of the room, surrounded by angels. In supplicating dignity, they were worshipping him with palm-folded hands. Astonished beyond measure, I was convinced that I was still dreaming. Woman, Lahiri Mahasaya said, you're not dreaming. Forsake your sleep forever and forever. As he slowly descended to the floor, I prostrated myself at, its, at his feet. Master, I cried. Again and again I bow before you. Will you forgive me for having considered you as my husband? I die with shame to realize that I have remained asleep in ignorance by the side of one who is divinely awakened. From this night, you are no longer my husband, but my guru. Will you accept my insignificant self as your disciple? The master touched me gently. Sacred soul, arise. You are accepted. He motioned towards the angels. 
please bow in turn to each of these holy saints. After I had finished my humble gen genuflections, the angelic voices sounded together like a chorus in an ancient scripture. Consort of the Divine One, thou art blessed. We salute thee. They bowed at my feet and lo, their refulgent forms vanished. The room darkened. My guru asked me to receive initiation into Kriya Yoga. Of course, I replied. I am sorry not to have had that blessing earlier in my life. That time was not ripe, Lahiri Mahasaya smiled consolingly. Much of your karma I have silently helped you to work out. Now you are willing and ready. He touched my forehead. Masses of whirling light appeared. The radiance gradually formed itself into an opal blue spiritual eye, ringed in gold and centered with a white pentagonal star. Penetrate your consciousness through the star into the kingdom of the infinite. My guru's voice had a new note, soft like distant music. Vision after vision broke as oceanic surf on the shores of my soul. The panoramic spears finally melted in the sea of bliss. I lost myself in ever-surging blessedness. When I returned hours later to awareness to of this world, the Master gave me the teaching of Kriya Yoga. From that night on, Lahari Mahasaya never slept in my room again, nor thereafter did he ever sleep. He remained in the front room downstairs in the company of his disciples, both by day and by night. The illustrious lady fell into silence. Realizing the uniqueness of her relationship with the sublime yogi, I finally ventured to ask for further reminiscence. Son, you're greedy. Nevertheless, you shall have one more story. She smiled shyly. I will confess a sin that I committed against my guru husband. Some months after my initiation, I began to feel forlorn and neglected. One morning, Lahari Mahasaya entered this little room to fetch an article. I quickly followed him. Overcome by delusion, I addressed him scathingly. You spent all your time with the disciples. What about your responsibilities for your wife and children? I regret that you do not interest yourself in providing more money for the family. The master glanced at me for a moment. Then, lo, he was gone. Awed and frightened, I, hear, I heard a voice resounding from every part of the room. It's all nothing. Don't you see? How could a nothing like me produce riches for you? Guruji, I cried, I implore pardon a million times. My sinful eyes can see you no more. 
please appear in your sacred form. Sacred form. I am here. This reply came from above me. I looked up and saw the master materialize in the air, his head touching the ceiling. His eyes were like blinding flames. Beside myself with fear, I lay sobbing at his feet after he had quietly descended to the floor. Woman, he said, seek divine wealth, not the paltry tinsel of earth. After acquiring inward treasure, you will find out, find that out. Outward supply is always forthcoming. He added, one of my spiritual son will make provision for you. My guru's words naturally came true. A disciple did leave a considerable sum for our money or our, for our family. I thanked Kashimoni for sharing with me her wondrous experiences. On the following day, I returned to her home and enjoyed several hours of philosophical discussion with Tinkori and Dukori Lahiri. These two saintly sons of India's great yogi followed closely in his ideal footsteps. Both men were fair, tall, stalwart and heavily bearded with soft voices and an old-fashioned charm of manner. His wife was not the only woman disciple of Lahiri Mahasaya. There were hundreds of others, including my mother. A woman, Chela, once asked the guru for his photograph. He handed her a print, remarking, If you deem it a protection, then it is so. Otherwise, it's only a picture. A few days later, this woman and Lahri Mahasaya's daughter-in-law happened to be studying the Bhagavad Gita at a table behind which hung the Guru's photograph. An electrical storm broke out with great fury. Lahri Mahasaya, protect us. The woman bowed before this picture. Lightning struck the book on the table, but the two devotees were unhurt. I felt as though a sheet of ice were placed around me towards off the, towards off the scorching heat, the chela related. Lahri Mahasaya performed two miracles in connection with a woman disciple, Abuya. She and her husband, a Calcutta lawyer, started one day for Banaras to visit the Guru. Their carriage was delayed by heavy traffic. They reached the Howrah's main station in Calcutta only to hear the Banaras train whistling for departure. Aboya, near the ticket office, stood quietly. Lahri Mahasaya, I beseech thee to stop the train. She silently prayed. I cannot suffer the pangs of delay in waiting another day to see thee. The wheels of the snorting train continued to move round and round, but there was no onward progress. The engineer and passengers descended to the platform to view the phenomenon.
an english railroad god approached a boya and her husband contrary to all precedent the god volunteered his services babu he said give me the money i will buy your tickets while you get aboard as soon as the couple was seated and had received the tickets the train slowly moved forward in panic the engineer and passengers clambered again to their places knowing neither how the train start started nor why it had stopped in the first place arriving at the home of lahri mahasaya in banaras abuya silently prostrated herself before the master and tried to touch his feet compose yourself abuya he remarked how you love to bother me as if you could not have come here by the next train Aboya visited Lahiri Mahasaya on another memorable occasion this time she wanted his inter- intercession not with a train but with a stock I pray you to bless me that my ninth child live she said eight but eight babies have been born to me all died soon after birth the master smiled sympathetically your coming child will live please follow my instructions carefully the baby a girl will be born at night see that the oil lamp is kept burning until dawn do not fall asleep and thus allow the light to become extinguished aboya's child was a daughter born at night exactly as foreseen by the omniscient guru the mother instructed her nurse to keep the lamp filled with oil both women kept the urgent vigil vigil far into the early morning hours but finally fell asleep the lamp oil was almost gone the light flickered feebly the bedroom door unlatched and flew open with a violent violent sound the startled woman awoke their astonished eyes beheld the form of lahri mahasaya aboya behold the light is almost gone he pointed to the lamp which the nurse hastened to refill as soon as it burned again brightly the master vanished the door closed the latch was affixed without visible agency aboya's ninth child survived in 1935 when i made enquiry she was still living one of lahri mahasaya's disciples the venerable kali kumar roy related to me many fascinating details of his life with the master i was often a guest at his banaras homes for weeks at a time roy told me I observed that many saintly figures dandi swamis arrived in the night quiet of night to sit at the guru's feet sometimes they would engage in discussion of meditational and philosophical points at dawn the exalted guests would depart i found during my visits that lahri mahasaya did not once lie down to sleep during an early period of my association with the master i had to contend with the opposition of my employer roy went on he was steeped in materialism 
I don't want religious fanatics on my staff, he would sneer. If I ever meet your Charlton guru, I shall give him some words to remember. This threat failed to interrupt my regular program. I spent nearly every evening in my guru's presence. One night, my employer followed me and rushed rudely into the parlor. He doubtless intended to utter the remarks he had promised. No sooner had the man seated himself than Lahari Mahasaya addressed a group of about 12 disciples. Would you all like to see a picture? When we nodded, he asked us to darken the room. Sit behind one another in a circle, he said, and place your hands over the eyes of the man in front of you. I was not surprised to observe that my employer also was following, albeit unwillingly, the master's directions. In a few minutes, Lahari Mahasaya asked us what we were seeing. Sir, I replied, a beautiful woman appears. She wears a red-bordered sari and stands near an elephant ear plant. All the other disciples gave the same description. The master turned to my employer. Do you recognize that woman? Yes, the man was evidently struggling with emotions new to his nature. I have been foolishly spending my money on her, though I have a good wife. I am ashamed of the motives that brought me here. Will you forgive me and receive me as a disciple? If you lead a good moral life for six months, I shall accept you, the master added. Otherwise, I won't, I won't have to initiate you. For three months, my employer refrained from temptation. Then he resumed his former relationship with the woman. Two months later, he died. Thus, I came to understand my guru's veiled prophecy about the improbability of the man's initiation. Lahari Mahasaya had a famous friend, Trilanga Swami, who was reputed to be over 300 years old. The two yogis often sat together in meditation. Trilanga's re renown is so widespread that few Hindus would deny the possibility of truth in any story of his ast astounding miracles. If Christ returned to earth and walked the streets of New York displaying his divine powers, it would cause the same awe among the people that Trilanga created decades ago as he passed through the crowded lanes of Banaras. He was one of the Siddhas, perfected beings, who have cemented India against the erosions of time. On many occasions, the Swami was seen to drink, with no ill effect, the most deadly poisons. Thousands of people, including a few who were still living, have seen Trilanga floating on the Ganges. For days together, he would sit on top of water or remain hidden for many long, very long periods under the waves. A common sight at Manikarnika Ghat was the Swami's motionless body on the blistering stone slabs, 
wholly exposed to the merciless Indian sun. By these feats, Trilanga sought to teach men that human life need not depend on oxygen or on certain conditions and precautions. Whether the great master was above water or under it, and whether or not his body challenged the fierce solar rays, he proved that he lived by divine consciousness. Death could not touch him. The yogi was great, not only spiritually, but physically. His weight exceeded 300 pounds, a pound for each year of his life. As he ate very seldom, the mysteries increased. A master, however, easily ignores all usual rules of health when he desires to do so for some special reason, often a subtle one known only to himself. Great saints who have awakened from the cosmic mind dream and have realized this world as an idea in the divine mind can do as they wish with the body knowing it to be only a manipulatable form of condensed or frozen energy. Though physical scientists now understand that matter is nothing but congealed energy, illumined masters have passed victoriously from theory to practice in the field of matter control. Trilanka always remained completely nude. The harassed polis of Banaras came to regard him as a baffling problem child. The natural swami, like the early Adam in the Garden of Eden, was unconscious of his nakedness. The polis were quite conscious of it, however, and unceremoniously committed him to jail. General embarrassment ensued. The enormous body of Trilanga was soon seen in its usual entirety on the prison roof. His cell, still securely locked, offered no clue to his mode of escape. The discouraged officers of the law once more performed their duty. This time, a guard was posted before the Swami's cell. Might again retired before right, the great master was soon observed in his non-challenged stroll over the roof. The goddesses of justice bears a blindfold. In the case of Trilanga, the outwitted polis decided to follow her example. The great yogi preserved a habitual silence. In spite of his round face and huge barrel-like stomach, Trilanga ate only occasionally. After weeks without food, he would break his fast with potfuls of clabbered milk offered to him by devotees. A skeptic once determined to expose Trilanga as a charlatan. A large bucket of calcium lime mixture used in whitewashing walls was used before the Swami, was placed before the Swami. Master, the materialistic said, in mock reverence, I have brought you some clabbered milk. Please drink it. Trilanga unhesitatingly drank to the last drop, the quartz of burning lime. In a few minutes, the evildoer fell to the ground in agony. Help, Swami, help, he cried. 
I am on fire. Forgive my wicked test. The great yogi broke his habitual silence. Scoffer, he said. You did not realize when you offered me poison that my life is one with your own. Except for my knowledge that God is present in my stomach, as is every atom of creation, the lime would have killed me. Now that you know the divine meaning of boomerang, never again play tricks on anyone. The sinner, healed by Trilanga's words, slunk feebly away. The reversal of pain was not a result of the master's will, but of the operation of law of justice that upholds creation's farthest swinging orb. The functioning of the divine law is instantaneous for men of God realization like Trilanga. They have banished forever all thwarting cross currents of ego. Faith in the automatic adjustments of righteousness, often paid in an unexpected coin, assuages our hasty indignance at human injustice. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. What need for man's poor resources? The universe duly conspires for retribution. Dull minds discredit the possibility of divine justice, love, omniscience, immortality. Airy scriptural conjunctures, men with this insensitive viewpoint all us before the cosmic spectacle set into motion in their lives, a discordant train of events that ultimately compels them to seek wisdom. The omnipotence of spiritual law was referred to by Jesus on the occasion of this triumphal entry into Jerusalem. As the disciples and the multitude shouted for joy and cried, Peace in heaven, glory is the highest, certain Parsis complained of the undignified spectacle. Master, they protested, rebuke thy disciples. But Jesus replied that as If his disciples were silenced, the stones would immediately cry out. In this reprimand to the Parsees, Christ was pointing out that divine justice is no figurative abstraction and that a man of peace, though his tongue be torn from its roots, will yet find his speech and his defense in the bedrock of creation, the universal order itself. Thank you, Jesus was saying. To silence men of peace. As well may you hope to throttle the voice of God, whose very stones sing his glory and his omnipresence. Will you demand that men not celebrate together in honor of the peace in heaven? Will you counsel them to gather in multitudes and express their oneness only in occasions of war on earth? Then make your preparations, O Parsis, to overtopple the foundations of the world. For gentlemen, as well as stones or earth, and water and fire, and air shall rise up against you to bear witness to the divine harmony of creation. The grace of Christ-like yogi Trilanga was once bestowed on my Sejo Mama, maternal uncle. One morning, uncle saw the master amid a crowd of devotees at the Banaras Ghat. He managed to edge his way close to Trilanga and humbly to touch the yogi's feet. 
uncle was astonished to find himself instantly freed from a painful chronic disease. The only known living disciple of the great yogi is a woman, Shankari Mai Ju. Daughter of one of Trilanga's disciples, she received the Swami's training from her early childhood. She lived for 40 years in a series of lonely Himalayan caves near Badrinath, Kedanath, Amarnath and Pasupatinath. The Brahmacharini, born in 1826, is now well over the century mark. Not aged in appearance, however, she has retained her black hair, sparkling teeth and amazing energy. She comes out of a seclusion every few years to attend the per periodical melas or religious fairs. This woman saint often visited Lahari Mahasaya. She has related that one day in the Barakpur section near Calcutta, while she was sitting by Lahri Mahasaya's side, his great guru Babaji quietly entered the room and held converse with them both. The deathless master was wearing a wet cloth, she recalls, as though he had just come from a dip in the river. He blessed me with spiritual counsel. Trilanga, on a certain occasion in Banaras, forsook his usual silence in order to pay public honor to Lahri Mahasaya. One of Sri Lanka's disciples objected. Sir, he said, why do you, a Swami and a renaissant, show such respect to a householder? My son, Sri Lanka replied, Lahri Mahasaya is like a divine kitten, remaining wherever the cosmic mother has placed him. While dutifully playing the part of a worldly man, he has received that 